This Dharma talk by Joan Sutherland Roshi, accompanying, was given at the just past full retreat at Mountain Cloud Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on January 31st, 2004. Good evening, everyone, and welcome again to those of you who've come in from outside to be with us tonight. Um, the last several nights we've been talking about our lives as walking on a road that we make by walking walking on a road that unfurls under our feet through the vastness. And we've also talked about the ways in which we are accompanied as we walk on that road unfurling from out beneath our feet. And tonight I would like to talk a little bit about the ways we accompany and um, maybe a bit about ways for us to be good companions on the way to others. So, uh, pilgrims, let us start our journey uh, in our habitual minds, in the place where thoughts and feelings seem like things that we have to do something about. They appear, and we have this idea that we should um, respond with some activity. And it can be something as simple and subtle as watching them rise and fall. And it can move quickly into delving into them, or suppressing them, or trying to understand them, or uh, projecting them onto somebody else, or writing them down, or um, remembering them for later, or making a plan about them. In this habitual mind, we are very busy. We spend a lot of time moving our thoughts and feelings around and reacting to them in various ways. In fact, you could spend a whole lifetime doing that. Um, It is often partly a dissatisfaction with that state of affairs that brings us to meditation. And we discover as we spend some time sitting in the silence that that mind in which thoughts and feelings are things we have to react to begins to change as time passes and things get stiller and things get wider and deeper. And perhaps we find that um, that busy self managing all those thoughts and feelings is slowly changing into something else, which begins to feel a bit more like a field. And the thoughts and feelings rise and fall in that field, and we can watch that happen. And then we begin to notice that that field exists not only inside ourselves, but it's continuous inside and outside. It's not bounded by our skulls or by our skin. And we begin to notice over time that other things rise and fall in that field too. Someone appears before us. Other creatures appear before us. Circumstances rise and other ones fall away. 
And if we stay with that over time, we begin to notice that our thoughts and feelings don't quite seem to feel so personal anymore. They seem like things rising and falling in the field along with everything else. And sometimes we can even forget why it was that we thought we should give them particular pride of place or be particularly concerned about them. So then, perhaps, we begin to notice that this this field of awareness isn't something we're even located in that somehow we have become it ourselves, that that busy self managing thoughts and feelings has become instead a kind of warm intelligence that suffuses the field. And that there are all these other things with their warm intelligences also suffusing the field. So we go outside and we walk around in this beautiful landscape and we begin perhaps to feel the warm intelligences of the rocks and the places where ours meet theirs, and then the places where it's pretty hard to tell where ours stop and theirs begins. And we begin to see the field as made up of the confluence of all of those warm intelligences. And the thing about that field is that it is as big as you will allow it to be. It will include as much as you let it. It itself has no natural boundaries at all. When we hang out in that field, we begin to notice certain qualities about it. And I wanted to talk about just a couple of those qualities tonight. One is something we might call patience. And after all, why not? It's an eternal field. We might as well be patient. If you don't like what's happening, you know, this minute or this year or this kalpa, stick around. It'll change. And as we were talking about compassion last night, that patience isn't static or passive. And it's not about being calm, you know? It's a willingness to hang out, a willingness to wait and see, a willingness not to turn away. It has its own warmth towards life, its own interest and concern about everything in the field. It's a process rather than a thing. Sometimes when we're patient, what we discover is how agitated we are. Sometimes when we're patient, we find that we're really uncomfortable. Um, And so patience, again, like as we were talking about with compassion last night, is about being willing to be uncomfortable, being willing to allow life to be exactly as it is and not to turn away. And I wanted to talk a little bit about compassion, which is a a word I see lying on a gurney in the ICU hooked up to machines and just about dead. Um, It's become so abstract and so idealized that I'm not even sure we know what it means anymore. 
So I'd like to talk about some sort of bloody aspects of compassion, you know, gritty, bony aspects of it. I think the idealization of compassion is that we need to immediately and completely feel perfect empathy with whatever is presented before us, with the person who is suffering. And my experience is that we can't always do that. I know that there are things I don't feel immediate, perfect, and complete empathy with. I know that sometimes my first reaction is get a grip, you know. As we were saying last night, stop hitting yourself with that, in the head with that hammer and complaining of a headache. And sometimes it's, oh, I really wanted to sleep tonight. <laughs> this again, you know? And it seems to me that we enter on the path of compassion when we're willing to stay up, even though we wanted to sleep that night, and hang out with what's going on, even if we don't feel completely empathetic with it. It's our willingness to show up, to not turn away again. It's our willingness to hold even our lack of understanding provisionally, to um, stay open to the idea that that might change. It might take years, but it might change, and we're willing to wait and see. Compassion means suffering with and often we take that to mean experiencing what the other person is experiencing. But I'm beginning to wonder if it means being willing to suffer what we're suffering in the face of whatever is happening. When I call into my mind people who recruit children to be suicide bombers, or um, people who want to turn America into an imperial power, I do not feel empathy. I do not have an immediate understanding of what that's about or why people would do such a thing. That is my suffering in the face of what is happening. And to me, compassion more and more is becoming about the willingness to suffer what I suffer, to suffer my discomfort, my not understanding, my pain in the face of things, and to stay with that and not to turn away. So one of the things we discover about this field of awareness, this field of warm intelligence, is that it does seem to have these deeply hearted qualities, patience and compassion and a kind of kindness. Kindness is not the same as niceness. Kindness is a really, really hard practice. And let me just um, touch on a couple of the aspects of hard kindness practice. <laughs> One thing about it is realizing that whatever's going on, um, if you're involved, it somehow belongs to you. you know? It must in some way be your fate, because there you are. Um, in the immortal words of Isan Dorsey, we get what we deserve, whether we deserve it or not. <laughs> so, you know, a beginning of kindness seems to be a willingness to look at that, to consider that, and take that on. 
Um, another part of it is the times when we recognize that things have gotten tangled beyond anything we can untangle. There isn't anything we can do about it. And there's a kindness in understanding our own limitations in the situation and not continuing to try past when it is kind to try. And then the next thing about it is if we stopped trying past what it's kind to try, uh, to again stay open to the possibility that that will change, that there may come a time in the future when something, when the knot tied in the light can be untied in the dark. And then the next thing is, in the meantime, while we're waiting for the possibility that things might change and knots might become unraveled, we take up the way of what is happening. We take up the practice of someone being furious at us. We take up the practice of deep disappointment in life. We take up the practice of the, of the unfairness of things. That's hard, but it's kind. And if we can do that, if we can hold that as our practice, it can be tremendously clarifying and purifying. So none of this is static. All of it is engaged. All of it has a kind of warmth to it, a curiosity and interest in life, a willingness to roll up our sleeves and plunge our hands in to ask questions, to wait, to wonder, to stay open, to consider that which is difficult, um, to not know and not turn away when we don't. There's, there's a quality here of the heart that is broken open, the not turning away heart that is sundered and stays open in some way to the world. The heart that sees that we live most of our lives in dappled light. Mostly the sunlight is filtered through the leaves of the trees and it falls on us in patches of light and patches of dark. There are times in our lives when we enter a meadow and everything is brilliantly sunny for a while. And there are times in our lives when we're in a deep part of the forest full of shadows where no sunlight falls at all. But always at some point we return to the dappled light and that is where we walk. To see that, to understand that deeply about life, that it is light and it is dark, and to try to separate light and dark and make good and bad creates bitterness. To see that is a kindness. To accept that that is the way things are. Which doesn't prevent us from asking the next question, which is, and now what? Where do we go from here? But we ask that question from the position of the way things actually are, not from how we think they ought to be, or how we wish they were, or how we're afraid they are. I think it is kinder to ask the question, now what? Where do we go from here? 
from the position of the way things actually are. And so we look into the faces of the people we love and we see that they are dappled, they are light, and they are dark. And we look down at our own hands and we see the way they have healed and the way they have hurt, what they have created and what they have destroyed. To know that, to accept that, to ask, and now what? That is the great kindness. So sometimes we are in this quantum field where things rise and fall and everything is sort of tangled up together. And it's unbearably tender and unbearably beautiful. And sometimes it feels, even after we have been doing this a long time, that we have a descent out of that quantum field onto the Newtonian pool table, you know, where everything is sort of blocky and sharp, and these blocky and sharp billiard balls go careening off of each other and smashing into each other. And it's easy to think that the quantum field where everything is unbearably tender and unbearably beautiful and all tangled up together, that that's the real thing. That's it. And that the fall onto the Newtonian pool table is some kind of error, some some kind of um, mistake, something we need to fix. But the truth is that both of those things, the field and the pool table, exist simultaneously, completely intertwined, completely inseparable. And the field is always there. And it gives rise to the pool table, completely, wholeheartedly. And in this case, no mistake. And perhaps in the most profound way, that is what our practice is about, is that is the integration of those two things, of the living simultaneously and without split in the quantum entangled field and the blocky and sharp Newtonian pool table. Allowing our meditation and the deepest things we learn from meditation to completely stain our lives and also allowing our lives to completely stain our meditation. We can have very deep meditation experiences. We can understand a lot and have read a lot of books and know how to do all the forms perfectly. But if we're not kind, it comes to nothing. In meditation, with certain kinds of experience, we develop an insight that is a clarity that comes from certain kinds of experiences. But it is our kindness that makes us wise. It is when the clarity that comes out of those meditation experiences meets our open, broken hearts and the patience and the compassion there. 
that we discover kindness, that we become wise. Wisdom is warm. It's interested. Wisdom has open hands. Let me close with um, a last thought about practicing alone and practicing together. Last year, a 14-year-old I'm very close to went to Paris for the first time. And um, girl after my own heart, when all of her classmates were shopping in the boutiques, she snuck out to go visit the, the cathedral at Notre Dame. And um, when she told me about standing in Notre Dame for the first time, I could remember standing in Notre Dame for the first time, and the tremendous beauty of that. Those cathedrals in Europe are beautiful because they built them beautiful. You know? But they're also beautiful because for hundreds and hundreds of years, people have come into them and prayed and done ceremonies. And the very stone walls are filled with incense, you know, and the stone floors are worn smooth down the middle with millions of feet having walked on them. And the pews are, um, may, are paler and dented from millions of bottoms and millions of knees on the, on the kneelers. And that makes them, you know, inutterably beautiful. In our way, in our practice, we don't live inside the cathedral. The cathedral lives inside of us. And that cathedral is made of our breath and our meditation and the ways our breath connects with that wind that has been blowing since before the beginning of time and the ways we connect with each other. It's made of our cooking and our singing. And the sacrament of that cathedral, which is never any further away than the next breath, the sacrament there is kindness. It doesn't require so much as a wafer, let alone a fatted calf, just open hands. And it can be performed anywhere, this sacrament, on street corners and in kitchens. It is always there. It is completely portable. And when we are kind, when we put our kindness out into the field, something happens and it turns around and comes back into our meditation and makes us wiser. And around and around that goes wisdom and kindness. Inhale and exhale. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, within that cathedral we carry inside us always. Thank you. Here are some excerpts from the question and answer portion of the talk. 
Well, let me borrow an idea from a colleague of mine that some of you will recognize. Um, niceness involves impression management. It's when you're trying to make somebody else think something about you. Kindness is um, this warm intelligence toward the field, this interest and curiosity in things. It's not so personal. Does that yeah. answer it? So simply first, not to turn away from it, not to try to um, impression manage, not to try to think even for yourself, not to try to think of all the reasons it's not true. But wait, there's another side to the story. You know, but wait, it's so unfair. Um, but to really, really stay with what it feels like to have someone absolutely enraged at you. Um, to just sit in that, to sit in the fire, to sit in that fire. And then what happens is, you know, individuals it will be particular to you. But it's really something to do that without trying to defend at all against it. And try not to change it or fix it, but accept that it is, uh, that fire is raging. The physicist David Bohm talks about the universe that we can see, which is pretty big, you know, the universe that we're aware of out there. All of that stuff is like bubbles of foam floating on the surface of the waves, and underneath it is this ocean that goes down to infinity. And that's everything we can't see and can't know. And why there should be this little sunlit, um, crust of bubble on the top of that wave, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. But it is beautiful to me that it is thus. And I think another big part of our practice is not to turn away from the mystery of things. To hold that we can't know we cannot know. It is thus. And as I say that, I feel happy. I feel happy not to know. Because um, what I don't know is really big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.